there, and welcome to Zero Half Hour, brought to you by Zero Hour Health and Zedic, a podcast where we talk with leaders from across the food service industry and beyond about the pressing issues of the day in 30 minutes or less. Our goal is to share ideas from diverse perspectives on a range of topics that matter to every business in the current and post-COVID eras. I'm Rosalind Stone, CEO of Zero Hour Health. Joining me today is Chip Carter from the Wall Street Journal. I'll let Chip introduce himself. Chip, nice to talk to you. Great to talk with you too. Thanks for having me. Um, it's nice to have the tables turned. Usually you ask me the questions and today I'm going to get to ask you a few, but you can ask me also. I feel like I'm going to have to really resist my reporter's urge to just turn everything back on you. So I'll try to try to not do that. That's okay. And you are welcome to do that. Um, just, you know, sort of by a little bit of background, Chip and I did not know each other since COVID. Now we um, have had this, this uh, rather lengthy COVID relationship, long distance. Um, it, and um, today we're just going to talk about how his job has changed, how my job has changed, what we see going forward, because we sit in very unique perches as um, we move through, as we move through, you know, these next stages. So Chip, set us up here. Tell me a little bit about yourself your background, a little bit about your bio, what you've done, what you're doing now. Yeah, so so I'm a reporter at the Wall Street Journal. I write about workplace and employment issues. And so before the pandemic, I was writing a lot about sort of how work was changing and how companies were sort of adapting to the future and what they were sort of doing to manage their workforces. And so it's kind of a dream beat because you can write about absolutely anything. You know, so many of the sort of bigger societal shifts that we're seeing kind of come and happen through work. So we've, I was writing a lot about sort of the kind of employee activism movement, about sort of politics at work about sort of how managers were dealing with sort of a new class of employees. Uh, And then, of course, the pandemic happens and our jobs, like everyone else, completely change. And so throughout the pandemic, I've mostly been writing about sort of uh, return to office efforts, about remote work, about sort of the various fits and starts companies have had in trying to bring people back into their physical workplaces. And then, of course, a big part of it, and one reason why I'm constantly calling you is because we're writing about sort of some of the health and safety factors here and sort of how companies are thinking about kind of what to do in terms of vaccine or testing mandates, about sort of how to keep workplaces safe, what to do after there's an outbreak, all of that. And so um, we're sort of writing about this from all different sorts of angles. Uh, but, you know, the journal and the, and the bureau that I'm in at the journal, the journal, I'm in our sort of New York corporate bureau. And so we're writing about this, looking at sort of how companies are dealing with this and how it's affecting employees at all sorts of different organizations. So it continues to be a fascinating beat. Uh, it's a privilege to be at the journal. And uh, it's just been it's just been kind of really interesting to talk with all sorts of people about how they're kind of managing through this. Yeah. Now, you're physically sitting in Ohio, right? I'm in Cincinnati, Ohio at the moment. My family is from the Midwest. And, you know, I was in New York for, you know, t- 12 years before the pandemic and have mostly been working from the Midwest um, th- throughout the pandemic. And it's been really interesting just to have a different experience than I think a lot of our editors have in New York. I mean, just in, just in terms of how the pandemic plays out. I mean, here in, in Ohio, a, a lot of folks continue, uh, you know, to not wear masks indoors, continue. I mean, it's just like, there's just a different, um, I think, level of awareness and sort of, you know, um, just a different kind of commitment to the pandemic here than maybe there is elsewhere. And so it's been sort of nice for our coverage to have people in different spots to be able to sort of um, bring different perspectives to this. Absolutely. So you always call with such interesting questions and have have sort of interesting storylines that aren't the same storylines as 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 others. How do you identify the most pertinent issues related to COVID and related to employee health and business? Yeah, so I think it's really about a lot of our ideas come from just talking with with companies 
and organizations about sort of what they're facing. And and I think that's, you know, I think there's there's so much coverage on these topics right now. It's a really challenge. It's a challenge to make sure that you're distinctive, that you're kind of ahead of what's coming next, um, and that you're providing something that's valuable to readers and that gives them information that ideally can help them do their jobs better or help them sort of make sense of this moment in a better way. So so for us, really, it like all comes from reporting. And so I find it really helpful just to have like a ton of conversations with CEOs, with chief HR executives, with, and then also just with like workers at sort of every level of companies. So it could be someone who's a Starbucks barista somewhere, or it could be someone who's sort of like at that rung right below the C-suite and is managing a large organization and has a huge team. And I just, they all sort of bring different perspectives to this. And so that's, so I try to like stack my day and just have as many calls as I can um, while also trying to balance writing stories and and getting things out. And so, um, but I just think that's where the, that's where you hear these interesting tidbits. And, And honestly, talking with you has been so helpful too, because, you know, you're, you've got such an interesting view on this and you're getting, I think, really interesting questions at all times that kind of give you a sense for sort of what's coming next to companies or what, you know, what people are asking about, what they're struggling about. Um, and I think, I don't know, that's why I find, you know, our conversation so helpful oftentimes. Excellent. Um, so this week has been a particularly interesting week, or at least the last several weeks since the surge started. And for us, the surge really hit, um, hit our clients and our clients employees somewhere around December 30th, you know, on December 30th, we were handling, you know, fewer than, a thousand employees sick calls or chats a day and it went to four thousand in one day um and has not gone down i mean it's gone down from four thousand but it has not even come close to reverted to the the levels it was well now three weeks ago so so we're dealing with all kinds of different new challenges um and amongst those are the uncertainty of the legal challenges the changing cdc guidance over the last few weeks um what are you hearing about how businesses are dealing with it it's, it's almost back to the level of um I don't want to say hysteria, the level of mayhem, you know, of March, April, May, 2020. Absolutely. I think that's a great word for sort of describing it. I mean, I'll sort of take what we've just seen this past week. So I spent a big, a good portion of this week talking with companies about just the testing challenges and managers are just exasperated about sort of how difficult it has been to get their hands on tests for their workers. And that has led even white collar employers to say, actually go back home. We, we don't have enough tests to be able to sort of reliably surveil our workforce to know if there's COVID in the workplace or not. So we can't have you back in the office. Um, and so we've seen companies like Molson, for example, the big beverage company told their employees at the end of December, like, we're going to push back our, you know, we're going to basically say, if you want to work at home, that's okay, because we know testing is such a challenge right now. At the same time, you have big technology companies like Google and others that have sent these at-home devices to their workers, um, which have raised sort of controversies of their own, because, you know, some of Google's employees have, have raised concerns that full-time employees got access to these Q devices that basically let you have real-time results uh, that are kind of similar, the company claims, to PCR results. Uh, and then contractors and others have had a, a little bit of a dif- different testing regime, and so they've, they've kind of raised concerns about fairness there. Um, but that was like a big conversation around the week. It was like, how do we get our hands on tests? I mean, I, I have to imagine that's what you're hearing too, is just that just the frustration um, in, in trying to kind of keep workers healthy, you know, given, given the testing challenges. I mean, is that, does that sort of ring true to you? Yes, I do think that we saw testing availability ease up in the last week or two um, to, to, some, to some degree. Um, I will confess that I bought a Q machine for myself. Um, and it's, it, it's pretty clever. And, you know, we've really just so bumbled testing for the last 18 months. Um, I ran out at lunchtime to drop off a prescription for a refill at CVS and also just to get away from this 
home office. And, um, you know, I had seen some of those, some of those internet memes of the, the CVS workers with hats on their heads that said no test. Yes. I passed. Um, I live in, I live in Westchester County, but I go into Connecticut for most of our things. So I was in the New Canaan, Connecticut CVS, and there were 12 signs that said no, no tests available or no tests in stock from the front door to the pharmacy in the back. <laughs> I counted. Um, and then, then they had them lined up all across the pharmacy counter. It was, it was pretty funny. And then, of course, someone asked while I was standing there. Um, so what we are seeing testing availability ease up to some degree. What's really disturbing is seeing some pro- some serious price gouging. Mm. You know, and we had identified a pretty solid source for a reasonably priced test um, that were being direct shipped um, about three weeks ago. And then, you know, I went on to order some more for another client yesterday and saw the kits had gone up $2 a test. Um, that's substantial. And, and do the companies have any explanation for this? I mean, if you reach out to them, do they say why they're doing this? It's just because they can? Good luck with that. Yeah, yeah. They're reaching out to them. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> um, that, that part doesn't go particularly well. Um, we also had a, little, a couple little sort of scams along the way. Mm. Um, uh, someone, you know, someone that we've done business with for a long time on other levels called us and said they had somebody who had a warehouse that had a million tests um, available that was in L.A. County, and it was a reasonable price. You know, first they wanted 50% uh, uh, in order to uh, hold the order, 50% deposit, and then they did not want to allow us or one of our representatives or our client to come in and see the tests. Mm. Um, And then when we declined, so there's, you know, there's just a lot of interesting stuff going on. Yeah. Well, I just feel like that's such a challenge for you having to navigate this on behalf of all different kinds of employers. I mean, I just, I have to think that is just a huge time suck trying to figure out how do we get our hands on large quantities of tests, even if they ease up, you know, a little bit. Right. Yeah. Now we don't, we don't, we, we sell services. We sell clinical services. Right. We sell wellness checks. We sell vaccine tracking. Um, we sell, you know, and, and for years we've been in the medical advisory services um, and, and crisis prevention and response. And here we are in month 24 of a crisis, but um, we don't direct, directly sell tests, but we certainly provide those, you know, help, want to help our clients. And, and there are some, some points where we've been able to be the middleman and get them from, you know, this trusted partner to that, to that, you know, client partner. But I want to go back to, to something that I sort of, sort of glossed over. So we're finding there's more sort of regulatory um, mayhem, more uncertainty. Someone asked me a really simple question about two hours ago, which was, which jurisdictions are currently requiring weekly testing? Um, and off the top of my head, I knew of three. I crowdsourced the questions of three clients, um, and you know, within 15 minutes, knew of nine. Um, and that's probably very cursory. And then somebody just moments ago sent an article that said St. Paul is rolling out weekly testing next, you know, immediately. So what are you hearing about how businesses are keeping up with that? Keeping up with changing CDC guidance. You know, Michigan's a great example where they didn't adopt the 10-day as a state. Um, and certain counties did, the five-day exclusion versus the 10-day, and it's county by county as to whether it's five days or 10 days. How are businesses supposed to keep up with that, and what are you hearing from them about that? So, I mean, I think I'm, I'm sort of smiling as you ask this question because I think I'm sure you're seeing this too. So many sort of companies are sort of just throwing their hands up and just frustration and saying, like, mm-hmm. we don't know how to do this at this point. I mean, I think sort of even in the wake of the Supreme Court ruling on Thursday, you know, many companies saying, okay, now we have to sort of 
operate under this hodgepodge of different local and state rules and figure out how do we do this in an effective way for a large company with locations and, and workers in lots of different places. And I think many just have sort of relied on these internal COVID task forces to do this, you know, that might have sort of members from the legal team and HR and others to help through this. But those teams are exhausted and they're overwhelmed by sort of the number of sort of items on their plate in addition to sort of having to do their day jobs. Uh, and so I think that that has been a real challenge. And I, and I even CEOs I've talked with have had like multiple meetings about this over the past couple of of, of weeks of just saying like we have to get our arms around sort of these regulatory challenges um, and also just realizing like we our workers sort of come to us looking for certainty and looking for answers they expect companies to sort of be ahead of all this and I just think a lot of executives find it really difficult to sort of keep up with that I, I don't how are you sort of what are you hearing in terms of how companies are, are sort of navigating just this this maze of different different roles you know we're, we're hearing that it's as challenging now, or it's more challenging now than it was a year ago. You know, it might even be more challenging this week um, than it was two years ago. You know, and the confused guidance coming out of the CDC, and I can't believe I'm saying that because I've always been a, a huge, um, a, a partner of the CDC. I've led a CDC working group on flu for years and years. Um, I don't, you know, the, the confusion and the mixed messaging and the difficulty in, you know, when we spend hours trying to translate, when we on our clinical team spend hours trying to translate um, one page of a CDC website, there's, there are problems out there. Um, I'm thinking about these big flow charts, right? These big flow charts, if this happens, if this, I mean, it's just like, it is, it takes up the entire screen. I mean, it's really, really challenging. Yeah. Right. Um, And then we found some discrepancies and, you know, because we're definitely looking at it, you know, at a greater detail. It looks like quietly on Sunday, the word if was taken out of some of those websites, which completely changes the meaning of those flowcharts. Because it said, if you test positive, if you, you know, still have symptoms, and now it says, you know, if you want, and also said, if you want to, and now it doesn't. Um, And that's, you know, then we start all over again. So what are you hearing about company-driven vaccine mandates? Yeah. So really interesting just to see what has happened. I mean, this is changing so fast. So I think in the wake of the Supreme Court hearing and ruling, um, a number of companies sort of already put out messages to their workforces saying like, never mind, you know, ignore that previous guidance that we sent you on sort of our testing or vaccination policies that would have gone into effect next month. Um, you know, I, there was a big trucking company uh, in, in based in Houston that told me that they sent a note to employees like within about 10 minutes of the Supreme Court decision. And I heard that from a number of CEOs and others yesterday. I mean, I was just frantically calling as many different companies as I could to sort of get their take on this. And almost the number of companies that hadn't put plans in place yet that were sort of waiting for the government guidance now saying like, we're scrapping it. We're not going to do it. Uh, it's just too much of a headache for us, too much of an operational burden. We're too worried about losing our employees. We're not going to do it. So I think that is a large portion of, of sort of employers that hadn't put these vaccine mandates in place yet are saying like, we're not going to bother now. Like it's not worth it to us. And I know there's sort of varying data out there. There was a survey of HR professionals this week uh, that showed that about, you know, a third of companies had sort of some kind of vaccine mandate in place. A lot of others were sort of just waiting to see what happens. And so if you sort of think about the millions of employers that would have been covered by the Biden administration rules, um, there's a lot that probably won't put testing in place. At the same time, you've seen companies like Citi and others that have said, we had vaccination mandates in place. Almost 99% of our employees are now vaccinated. So of course, we're going to keep our rules in place. And those have worked for us really well. 
there was a you know United Airlines CEO I, I think notably this week told you know told um, employees in the, bro- the broader world uh, that that basically that, you know that their vaccination mandate had worked that it had prevented their employees from being hospitalized that it had prevented them from being from dying and so I think companies that have kind of gone down that path have said actually, this has been really effective, even if it's been unpopular internally, it's helped to keep our workforces safe and in turn helped our operations. And so I think, I guess my big question for companies going forward is, do we see more executives sort of say, okay, we are going to embrace vaccination mandates, even though we're not required to, just as sort of a way to safeguard our workforce, to think about sort of operationally, how to make sure we can provide the service that we provide. Um, but I don't know. I mean, it's I think it's a lot trickier for companies now because they don't have the cover of the federal government. I mean, they have to go on out on a bit more of a limb here if they're not in a an area that's sort of requiring these already. I mean, uh, I, I'd love to get your take on this because I think you're also probably having some fascinating conversations with lots of different people. Well, yeah, we're, we're, we're seeing two different things here. One is we're seeing this incredible surge that we're currently experiencing. And I think that there's a pattern that we're seeing that is going to have such a broader impact on businesses operations that hasn't yet floated to the top, which is the same unvaccinated employees being excluded two, three, and four times for close contact, developing symptoms themselves, not going to get tested so they don't have a confirmed positive. So then you're going to be excluding them again for close contact and those people no longer being functional members of your team that you can count on being there. And we're seeing that it's very geographic, um, unfortunately. Um, You mentioned uh, a Texas-based trucking company, you know, them making that decision where they are geographically is, you know, know, not unexpected. But we think that we are seeing a level of illness, and if this is the, you know, if we're following a surge pattern and there's going to be another surge, you know, eight to 12 weeks from now, or this is going to become, you know, when this becomes endemic, losing those same employees over and over and over again is going to be an impediment to, to being profitable, an impediment to staffing, um, you know, to keeping your doors open, to keeping you open your full hours. So I think we're going to see companies having to, having to respond to that. Um, I would not want to have a teammate who was constantly out. Right. You'd be frustrated. Yeah. You're like, what, what, can I, what can I know? Like, do I know you want some certainty there, I would imagine? Yes. And then the other thing I want to say is that um, vaccine mandates work as you've seen or strongly encouraging and incentivizing incentivizing um vaccination and you know none of our clients who have either put in vaccine mandates or put in strong vaccine support communication incentive plans it has not backfired on any of them it has only made them stronger better more functional more operational you know vaccines vaccines work um Our offices are in Stanford, Connecticut, and Stanford Hospital opened a second ICU this week. They're both full. Um, Not a single patient in either ICU is vaccinated. That's a very strong message. Absolutely. And it's sort of terrifying to see what's happening in our hospitals across the country. But but right, those sort of stats speak for themselves. Yeah. Right. Well, and the other part is, you know, know, in my first hat, you know, is as a a healthcare administrator, you know, and as an employer and have a, a large number of employees whose healthcare is you know, financially, you know, in, in large part, my responsibility, um, the, those employees are going to cost us more. You know, your health insurance cost, you know, we haven't seen where has happened yet or is going to happen over the next two, three years with health insurance costs. I mean, essentially, we're all self-insured. So we're going to see a major financial impact as these same people who don't get vaccinated 
end up hospitalized, whether in an ICU or not, end up hospitalized, end up in an ICU, end up, you know, running up large bills. Well, I, I think that's absolutely right. And all of that is such, such a factor in, in, in these decisions. I, you know, you mentioned something that I think is, is really key and something that's been on my radar, though, is, is the incentives. Like, do you think we see the incentives come back in sort of creative ways? If companies say, we're still hesitant about mandating vaccines, but we're going to come up with something that's different to sort of get those rest of those folks over the edge and to get them vaccinated. I mean, are you hearing anything yet about sort of uh, interesting kind of creative approaches from the incentive side? Or is it sort of too early, uh, you know, as... As, as kind of companies process what happened at the Supreme Court? Well, what, what happened in the Supreme Court isn't necessarily over. Right, Because right. it's going to go back to the Sixth Circuit, and the Sixth Circuit's be interesting where, where they go because they were, they were surprisingly supportive of, of vaccine mandates. Um, you know, and the proposed rules have been published in the Federal Register from OSHA, which technically become final rules on, what, May 5th or May 6th. So this isn't over, um, but from an immediate, you know, an immediate um, resolution or an um, immediate relief to having, you know, millions of workers. My literally favorite headline of of um, most of COVID was in the Wall Street Journal earlier this week, and it was like the week America called out sick. Um, we're now in week three of America calling out sick, you know, and it's not looking much better for next week. Um, so, you know, I was I was hoping for some immediacy in, in that. I think that there's roughly 15% of the workforce or 15% of the population um, that has dug their heels in and choosing not to get vaccinated. And I don't know that incentives personally are going to affect, affect those people. Mm. Mandates might have, mm. Mm. Um, but, but I don't see incentives. We did see a really interesting thing um, last, week in, um, last week in Chicago when Chicago implemented their vaccine or test mandate. Um, one of our clients had a very large number of employees upload vaccine cards into our system. And, we were real, and they, they were convinced that maybe they weren't all legitimate cards. And we, we um, took a look at them. And in fact, they were. They were legitimate cards. They were dates spread out from April through last week of vaccine dates, different brands, different vaccine vaccination sites, um, different lag times between doses. They looked, they were, they were the real deal. And it was, there was no incentive or there was um, a, di- not necessarily a disincentive, but there were people that were choosing not to share that information with their employers or choosing to just didn't get around to upload it. And when there was a deadline to upload it, wow, they were so pleasantly surprised that many more of their employees were vaccinated than they, than they thought. Fascinating. That has to be such a, like, you have to just see managers feeling like, okay, like now we have a little bit more information that can help us sort of think about what's next. Sure, sure. Um, so I want to go back to two other things we talked about. Um, you've been writing a lot about return to the office. We know a lot of companies are delaying return to the office. Um, What's working for those who are going back in person? Yeah. So I think a couple things. One is testing. I mean, testing, you know, you've, mm-hmm. you've seen companies like Salesforce, for example, say that that is sort of the only way that they can safely do this. Salesforce has had some large gatherings for employees, and they said they've had no problems with cases because everybody was tested the day of, um, and Salesforce is sort of rolling out sort of these at-home machines as well to their employees. So, so that is one piece of this, is just feeling like we have adequate testing. The other, I think, is just giving employees a little bit of certainty about what's ahead. So I think, you know, Facebook's parent company, Meta, is kind of a good example of this. They have sort of, like a lot of companies, repeatedly rolled back 
their sort of hard return to office deadlines. But at the same time, they've kind of given employees a lot of choice. They've said basically anybody who wants to work remotely for the next year can do so if they want to. You sort of can re-up and tell, tell them if you want to stay remote or not. They've also kind of given people what they're calling this office deferral program. And so this is kind of like a little middle ground. So if you aren't ready to come back at the end of March, which is their, the latest date at Meta when people will be required back in its offices, you can say, I'm going to take a deferral for, for another three to five months, and then I'll return to the office with, with my colleagues. And so I think it's sort of a reflection that everybody is at a different moment right now in this pandemic. Everybody has sort of different needs, different concerns at home. And I think that's been one way that they've been able to sort of telegraph what's ahead, give people some certainty, but also not give up on returning to offices altogether. And, um, and so I think like, that, that approach kind of strikes me as interesting. But then we're also seeing, I, I think, in, on the incentives realm, some kind of creativity coming. Um, I was talking with a colleague earlier uh, last week with, with a company in San Francisco that doesn't want to force people back to offices, but wants to kind of incentivize them back. And so what this company is doing, this is Cloudflare, it's a, it's a, a you know, security company, they're going to give people sort of a company credit card that can be used at lunch spots around the company's office only for like certain hours of the day. So it's going to be sort of like between, this is a theoretical example, but like 11 to 2, we'll pay for your lunch at just businesses right around our office and give you a credit there. That credit card turns off after two. It's not going to work like anywhere in the city, but just like around our offices. And so I think we're going to see more of these kind of carrot approaches. Just like, let's not force people back, but we're going to give people sort of an easier way to come together, meet with your colleagues, have lunch on us. Uh, and I think maybe, I think that might be a way to sort of like incentivize people back rather than enforcing them, uh, which might turn people off. So that to me st stood out as kind of just an interesting different approach. So we have an interesting issue ourselves, which is that our office lease is up at the end of September, and we have an obligation to notify our landlord um, by the end of March on what our intentions are. And for now, our offices are, I wouldn't say empty, but very empty, um, you know, but, but, but very sporadically used. Um, but we love our offices. When, when on, on March 13th of 2020, we were a lean and mean organization. Um, we have increased, we have grown fourfold in that time and we now have employees in 14 or 15 states, which we didn't, it was three or four states and, and then. So I think that there are a lot of businesses that may be say, you know, facing some similar business discussions and decisions. What do we look like going forward? Because we never imagined ourselves being ever imagined ourselves being a 100% virtual company and we are functioning very, very well at a very high level, you know, seven days a week, almost 24 hours a day, which is very different than before. So, but, but to your point, for our Stanford staff, what do they talk about coming back to the office? The new restaurants that have opened around the office. You know, there's a, <laughs> Chipotle is a, a large client of ours that Chipotle opened across the street. It's bringing everybody back to go to, <laughs> you know, to, go to lunch. Um, so, um, so I think there's some really interesting things like that that we're going to really interesting different issues that are coming along while we're also trying to manage this, you know, giant thing called COVID. But that's, that's a tough call though. Like, what do you do? Do you say like, okay, we're going to give up our offices um, and we're going to make that decision on the lease now because maybe the way that we'll want to work will be different going forward. I mean, I think that, I think that's been a big sort of question mark hanging over a lot of executives heads. It's like, 
how exactly will people want to kind of convene going forward. I'm also hearing like some companies take really interesting approaches to this. So like some have given up their office space and started renting corporate apartments in cities. So say we've got a largely remote workforce at this point. We want to give people places where they can come together for company meetings, like in a certain city. So say you can have dinner with your colleagues on the terrace of this corporate apartment. There's going to be bedrooms below where, so if people from out of town need to stay, they don't need to get a hotel room. Um, we've seen other companies say, we're just going to meet quarterly at restaurants or in executives' backyards or at a hotel somewhere, just like sort of like an off-site approach to coming together. I mean, I think there, there are no sort of like easy answers on all of this, but I think a lot of companies are realizing like maybe we don't need that office space, but we'll still have ways to come together in person sporadically if people can mostly do their jobs at home. So anyway, I'm personally sort of intrigued by how um, how companies do this. We had a, a had an outdoor party at my house. Um, yes, in December in New York, we had an outdoor party um, in my backyard. And um, when they were putting up a tent for it, they asked how we had, how come we had so much power out there? And it was because we've been working at a giant table in my backyard off and off and, and therefore had, had good power sources out there by now. Um, what other issues are, are you most focused on right now? Yeah, so um, this is, uh, you know, I think on the, another thing that just keeps coming up in every conversation is just sort of like, the mental health of employees right now. I mean, everybody is fried. You know, I, there's no one I talk to in the course of my job who's like, you know, I'm feeling good. Like things feel okay. My job is stable. Like I just feel like even keeled. Like everybody feels like I think still so just sort of like burned out, exhausted. Their jobs have changed in so many ways. There's, I mean, I think a lot of people still largely feel isolated if they are working from home or, or worried about the pandemic and wanting to kind of stay away from others. Um, and so I think that's that's a big concern. Again, no easy answers there, but it's just the amount of folks who just feel like they are done. They're exhausted. And so how do you keep people engaged in that? I think is a huge challenge for companies. Um, and then I'm also just interested in just like broader workplace trends like wage inflation and, and uh, you know, how you pay workers now and how all of this, like, I just think these are big, um, these are big issues that companies have to sort through. And so it's certainly going to be stuff that we keep focusing on uh, this year. But, but, um, but I don't know. I mean, and I guess I'm also just intrigued by everybody has very different thoughts on sort of how long this pandemic lasts. So I, I asked kind of every CEO I chat with, like, what's your sort of gut or best planning tell you about sort of how long you'll be dealing with these disruptions? Some are like, we'll be dealing with this for the next year. Others are expecting sort of a quick come down in cases and that things will be better in the next month or two. I don't know, but they're just vastly different answers. I wonder sort of, does that come up in your conversations? I mean, I wonder if people are kind of constantly asking for your best guess on all this. Um, and, and that's a, a really good place for us to end. The answer is yes. That is the single most common question I get. And um, we'll generally deal with, um, you know, people in operations, risk management, food safety, um, QA, um, employee health and safety, um, you know, but then when I get the call of, um, you know, from 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 someone in the C-level, it's generally because they want to set up a call with their CEO or their president and so forth. And that's their question. Um, and the question is, you know, from where you sit, when is this over? And um, and we have some clients who, you know, in, in certain positions think, oh, it's over, you know, and they're going about their business in certain parts of the country like it's over. And in other parts, you know, where I live in New York, where it's not you know, a lot of things are shut, are shut down. You walk into a restaurant and it's relatively empty. Um, so that is absolutely the most common question I get. And if, you know, I had, you know, I wish I, I wish I knew the answer. Um, and I don't. Yeah. And I think that's the most honest answer right now. Like these predictions, we can make predictions. You can look at the data. 
it's really hard to tell. I yeah, and I think that's probably the best the best that you can say. Yeah, Chip, thank you so much. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Likewise, this I'm was sure a lot we'll of talk fun. Again soon. Thank Thanks. you again. That's our show for today. Thanks again for taking the time to join us. Stay tuned for our next episode in your inboxes and on your podcast app of choice soon. As always, if you have any topics or questions you'd like us to cover or have a guest we should chat with, don't hesitate to reach out to us at support at zerohourhealth.com. To learn more about us and subscribe to our twice-weekly executive summary, check out zerohourhealth.com. Thanks again.